theyeshiva.net. Rabbi, just before we start, I would like to make a confession to, to you. Uh, I've been listening to Rabbi YY for years, 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 years. Maybe, oh, yeah, almost like 10 years or something like that. I used to even listen to Yeshua on Shabbos when I could listen to him on Shabbos. You should know that. <laughs> and you gave me a lot of chizik, a lot of chizik. So, Roka Shem. So, thank you so wow. much. <laughs> that means a lot, Reb Nissim. <laughs> Now, Jacob, just to key, just to cue in, where he's talking about the social um, barriers you had to break it. through. Okay, so that that was the topic. And if I may say, Rob Jacobson is someone who grew up in the Crown Heights ghetto, if I may say, and who really uh, speak for yourself. The old... Speak for yourself. I did not grow up in the ghetto. <laughs> I grew up in a very very open environment and a very non judgmental environment. If you knew my home growing up, I did not grow up in a ghetto. <laughs> but most people in Crown Heights, if they didn't grow up in the son of a journalist's house, was pretty, you know, you knew Chabad. You, when growing it's up in Flopish, people... Might, I, have, I beg to differ with you. I beg to differ. Okay. We grew up in the presence of one of the most expansive personalities in Jewish history. So I really beg to differ with you. Completely. Okay. So growing up, maybe maybe not everybody listened to him, or but he was a person whose ambition, day and night, was really to transform all of humanity and create a revolution in the world of goodness and kindness and higher consciousness. That's if 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 that's called a ghetto. What's not called a ghetto? But you, I'm sure you've heard this kind of that people say people chabad they don't never heard of. The Rosh Hashivas and Tells, they don't know their names. They never recognize or heard of other Rebbes and Barapark or Williamsburg or other great people. So obviously, Rav Jacobson is someone, when you hear him speak and his knowledge and his reach, is definitely cross all boundaries in a similar way that, if I may say Nisim also, really uh, cross many boundaries. If I may draw those, those connection here between the two stars we have on our interview here today. Yeah, but today I did get a compliment that I didn't get. I don't think I ever got somebody who listen, was listening to me halachically on Shabbos. <laughs> <laughs> and was inspired, was inspired towards Yiddish. <laughs> Thank you. I will never, I will never forget the shiur. I still, I, still, I still have it. I haven't listened to it in a while, but it was an oasis of calm. I don't know if you, you you've given a lot of shiurim, you know, you have a lot up there. So, but I remember the shiur, and it was uh, very, very powerful, very, very powerful. An oasis and, uh, of from, um, You mean creating? And, a, it was an, an, an. I don't know who, you know, I don't know if you were in charge of uh, putting it on the in the feed on on Chabad.org back then, but it, they they named it an oasis of calm. Okay. And as a shiur you was giving, and you talked about the yiske over there. It was shortly after 9-11. You gave a story from 9-11 when the building was collapsing. And two guys that walked into the bar with the Jack Daniels, uh, you know, and then his friend died. You know, I, I remember... You I even remember, remember the jokes, Nissim. Yeah, I remember, the, remember jokes. the jokes. The jokes were hilarious. <laughs> okay, wow, that's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, it was a long time ago. I, that's how much of an imprint it made on me. But that's 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, was it? No way. Oh no! 2008? 2008. 
Okay. You, okay. Heard it, you heard it 10 years ago. Okay. No, it was said yeah, after. Oh, uh, yeah, right, right, right. So here's my question okay. to you. It's very mm-hmm. obvious to, when, when I ever I hear you talk and when we've met in the past, you came to my shul in Muncie, remember Chambas? Right, right. I always see how uh, personal and intimate relationship with God you have. Right. What can you tell? Many people grew up with Yiddishkeit. They grew up from religious homes, Orthodox homes, or whatever types of homes. They read yeah. the Tanakh, they read the Parsha, they know all the stories. Adam, mm-hmm. Chavra, Naya, Chavram, Yitzhak, David, Shlomer, so they know it all. Mm-hmm. You know? They even learn every right. day Blad Gemara or many right. other things. But if right. you ask them, did you ever experience a personal relationship with God? They don't know what you're talking about. Right. What would be right. your advice to all of these beautiful and holy people? How can they find a real personal relationship with Hashem? I think the the, the biggest things that was the for me um, was the tefillah part. The tefillah part, the heat bodenut and heat bonenut, really contemplating everything that I was learning. Because there's one way you can you can read through a lot of the material you just described. And and you, you you either read it like a book, or you read it because you have to, or you read it because you you, or you read it and you're told that nothing ever is what it is, right? And that's one of the biggest problems, right? Nothing ever really happened to some degree. And, and what I mean by that is is that um, whether or not it happened, whether or not the peshat is the peshat, people are always trying to find learn out some lesson. I tell you, I was sitting with uh, with uh, someone. And we started reading. We were talking about Nach. And a lot of the boys that have been in yeshiva, they, they didn't learn Nach so much. So I was talking to him about a story of uh, when Eliyahu Anavi, when he was called up. So we opened up to Nach. And we're reading it at Adam Elohim. And, he's, and he goes over there, okay, but what is it trying to teach me? I said, it's just trying to teach you that look at the power of Hashem. <laughs> you know? Like when I see in it, I see what the power of Hashem was, you know? And, and and you know even reading Nehemiah Ezra and I and I read Nehemiah you know after such sorrow he was in after he heard what was going on in Yerushalayim and 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 decided to go back what did he do he went out and he cried to Hashem in the courtyard and I was looking at, when I read the stories I'm seeing like how much the person depended on Hashem and so for me I was able to grow from that and realize that hold on that if I depend on Hashem there's a certain level of relationship and an expectation that I can have from Hashem that I'm going to be able to get if I invest my time and my, my, my devotion towards Hashem. So I think that that's the biggest thing is sort of like getting new eyes, looking at everything brand new. That Let, let, me, let, let me just read this and ever hear like, okay, well, this, what am I trying to learn out from it? Like, let me look for Hashem over there. I'm looking for Hashem over there. Amazing. What was the moment? I mean, you grew up as a Sunni Muslim. Then you become right. a Christian. Right. And then one day you decide to become a Jew. What's the moment? <laughs> I don't know. What's the Probably was an evolution. But can you yeah. point a moment or something you read or something you felt or, or something in the time right. or some life experience right. that really clinched it for you? I think the thing for me was it was the overall experience of after I got into a horrible situation with another rapper, it was a kill or be killed situation. My life was like, you know, on the line. And I started praying because I had the familiarity with Christianity and Islam. So I started praying. I got out of that situation and I stayed home 
And I kept praying. I was thanking God at that point. And I realized for myself that if I continue in that same life, then the next time it could be the real thing. So what I decided to do was continue praying. Then I decided to pick up the Bible again. Now, when I was younger, I had a lot of questions and I wanted to know a lot because I just didn't, I didn't understand everything. It wasn't like I grew up in church and, and went to Sunday school and all the other stuff. So when I was, I also came into that uh, Christianity around 14, 13, 14 years old. So I, I had a lot of questions. Not a lot of people had a lot of answers. They're not so big on lumbus over there. So then everybody had answers, but you know, whatever. So I tried to, to uh, find by myself. I tried to look up the answers. Of course, obviously that's how I came to uh, Chabad.org and Yoshiram and Rabbi Mendel Kaplan and a few other, you know, uh, people that were really like inspiring me on, on Chabad. But I think it was this. I got to a place where I said to, to God, I only want to know your character. I ruled out Islam. I was sitting with all three books. I had the Quran. I had a few versions of the Christian Bible. I had a JPS Tanakh and maybe a Chumash. And I was going through these different texts eight hours a day. I was really trying to, to get it. And I nailed it down because the, 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 the story inside the Tanakh, everybody was messing up, you know? <laughs> it was just like the story of everybody screwing up over and over and over again, right? But Hashem's unwavering love. And I would have had to believe from the other two that God can change his mind at any point, right? He could change the whole entire script. And I didn't feel that that was a stable, stable thing for me. I set a Tanakh on the table and I said, God, I'm going to read through this and I'm only going to look for your character. I want to know what you love. I want to know what you hate. I want to know what you, and along with that, I started fasting. I was going three days without food. Not because I, I didn't read any books on Tzaddikim except for the ones that were inside the book. When they had sorrows and they wanted to ship, they started fasting and they started praying to Hashem. So I just did what was inside the book and that, that was it. And the sensitivity to, to, to Ruchness, the spirituality was so strong, it was so thick that I felt like Hashem was mamish holding my hand through the whole entire process. And what I noticed was, as the love that Hashem had for the Jewish people was beyond. And I started to feel jealous. I started to get very jealous. And I was saying that, how could it be that these guys keep messing up and Hashem keeps saying that I'm going to take you back. And no matter what you do, I'm still going to take you back. And so I came to a very weird conclusion. I say it's weird only because on one level it sounds like heresy, but I'm not really saying what I'm saying, but I'm saying what I'm saying. And I think the rabbi, you understand. I came to a conclusion that if there is no Jewish people, then there's no Hashem. That was my take on it back then. Why? Because the whole entire integrity of all that, and I was spending a lot of time on, obviously, on uh, eschatology and what's going to happen in the whatever. Hashem's whole entire integrity was on the fact that there has to be a Jewish people. There has to be a Jewish land. There will have to be a Jewish king. And the fact that there were still Jewish people in the world after I started learning Jewish history. Now, mind you, I grew up in the hood. I knew nothing about the Holocaust. I didn't know anything about Jewish history. I'm learning everything on my own. And it just didn't make sense. And it only can reveal that there has to be a God because there's Jewish people. So that's the, that's the, so that was like the biggest thing for me. And when it came to sit, real serious, serious guy, I have to shout out whoever made this video. We started keeping biblical kosher. We started, uh, after that, we started doing like, you know, keeping the Sabbath. We didn't know what that was. I just like stopped doing the dishes on Saturday, whatever the case was, I called the Shabbos. And I was on Chabad.org, and there was a video. There was a video um, 
about Shabbos, a day of rest. It's a 20-minute documentary done by, I think, the Roar family in Florida. I don't know who they are, but shout out to them. I seen this video, and I probably, it was 20 minutes, I probably cried for 18 minutes of the video. With such yearning and kisufing for Shabbos, and it was just a crazy, it was a crazy uh, experience. So all those things like trickled into into me want to convert. Sorry, I talked too long, Rabbi. I have Rabbi syndrome. You can you can. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> I can tell you, you called it heresy, but the Sidri, which is one uh-huh. of the earliest earliest rabbinic texts in Jewish history, on Parshas uh-huh. Dinu, says, mm-hmm. and literally, I quote. God says, wow. when you are my people, I am God. When you're not my people, Ooh. I am not God. That's a direct wow. quote from the Sifri, which predates the Mishnah and the Gemara. Wow, 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 wow. I was, I was on to something. <laughs> Rabbi Jacobson, Bacharim people in from yeshivas are always talked and educated not to listen to non-Jewish music. Could you elaborate what's the gather? What's the what does it mean non-Jewish music? What's wrong with non-Jewish music? What's considered Jewish music? And since Nitzim's here, I thought it'd be an appropriate question. Well, I think there's two And as someone also, if I may, Rabbi Jacob, someone who really welcomes music in his Harangan Shirim, I think it's a very mm-hmm. a, a, a pertinent question, if I may say. Yes, no question. I think there's a few components here. Very briefly, I would say, and I probably Nissim could fabreng on this much better than I, that music has a tremendous impact on people. Like the Alter, the Balatanya said that words are the pen of the mind and music is the pen of the soul. And the author of the music, the composer, the writer of the lyrics, really puts his or her soul an imprint of them is in their music. You can feel Nisim's neshama in his music. You can feel people's presence, their art, their creativity, their passion, their convictions, their values, their oomph, their gusto, sometimes their nuclear energy. And it, it, it hits you in the spot, you know, it penetrates. And that's why we're just very, very sensitive. We are all sensitive people. The music we hear the types of lyrics, the content, as well as the nature of the composers, it has a very powerful effect on those who listen to them, especially when you're young and you're being formed and your identity is being formed. You know, a lot of the content of music in the last half century is really based on the notion that there's no inhibitions in life. The more violent, the more crazy, the more meshuggah, the more insane, the better. It's really right. based on the idea of enticing the most primal and basic urges in people and giving them carte blanche, full, full, not only the right, but the duty to not recognize any boundaries whatsoever. And it created a whole, a whole culture. So that's why people who are sensitive to our purpose in life of creating a world that is moral and ethical and good are extremely sensitive to the nature of music, both the content, the messages that are being conveyed, the style, the art, and also the composer. 
Now, within that itself, there's so many gradations and so many levels. You know, you have a niggin like the Alter Rebbe's nigunim, like Reb Aaron of Karlin, like some of the great tzaddikim and the great masters. You know, Jewish music through and through, you could sense right away the spirituality, the holiness. You know, you sing a niggin like, like even uh, uh, the words are from Tehillim. The tune comes from the Alter Rebbe. Yeah. Again, words from Tehillim. So, you know, that's one genre of music. Then you have different genres of music and it's different levels of sensitivity. Some people who are very sensitive right away notice, you know, what we're talking about. But that's the general approach. And I think it's important for all of us to realize this, to realize the impact on our lives, on our conscious and on our unconscious. So you're saying it's the composer, and would you say the genre also has a spiritual element and effect? I think the genre, I think all aspects, I think the genre has an effect. I think, of course, the lyrics, the message has an effect. And I think the composer has an effect. I think sometimes it's conscious, and sometimes it's just organic, by osmosis, it just, it goes into us. And I think we have to be aware, just like when before you eat, sensitive people know, that I am what I eat, and before I take in physical food, I have to know that it's going to become part of my bloodstream. Music, in a way, is deeper because it becomes part of my soul stream. So is it not fair to listen to, to other music or it's not recommended? What would you say, Rabbi Jacobson? The word Avera is a very strong word. The word sin is a strong sin. So everybody should consult their a competent uh, Orthodox rabbi and a confidant that they trust. But generally speaking, there's certainly songs that I would say that to listen to them is morally destructive. They have messages that are are destructive messages. And then I would say there are songs that are literally, they inspire your soul towards a deeper relationship with God. And then there are songs, I think, you know, in the middle. And it really depends on, on where you are in life and what it does for you. But generally speaking, as Jews, our mission statement is that what we do and what we engage in, every move, every word I say, and every song I listen to can either bring me closer to truth or further from truth. And in life, our goal is to every moment to try to become closer to truth. More truth, more awareness, more goodness, more love, more light, more depth. Yes, you want to chime in on that about music reflecting culture and impact on a person? Absolutely, I would agree with the rabbi one hundred percent. I think that the 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 biggest thing is 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 the the impact of of the individual, and then I think afterwards I would say the lyrics. The reason why I'm saying this, uh, Rabbi Nachman talks about this in Lakute Maran and Torah Gimel about the the effects of 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 the listening to a person who's not such a good person and what type of effect that I have on you. Now, when you hear this whole entire Torah, it goes very, very uh, deep into and how much it can cause a person uh, to be mixtural and how it could uh, damage a person's avodas Hashem. And then he gives a tikkun on how to fix it. If you happen to hear such a person and you don't know. Now, when you read the, the backstory on this Torah and why he gave it, 
you would think that he was talking about, you know, the, the, the latest Eminem album or something like that. He wasn't actually talking about that. He was talking about a chazan who happened to be uh, the, the neighborhood chazan who happened to be involved with another person's wife on, on the side. And, and, and no matter how beautiful the words were, uh, how much he may have been accepted, the music was being initial, the person he said, because by listening to a person like that who was unclean, uh, was damaging to a person's avodas Hashem or coming closer to Hashem or coming closer to the truth. So I definitely think so. For a long time, I thought also too for myself that, you know, I'm less of a stickler, obviously, on genre, right? Because I only came from the music. My mother did hip-hop. My father did hip-hop. And this was the way that I knew how to communicate with the world. So I remember <clears throat> having a thought about this. And uh, to say I never thought and went back and forth on it to be a lie. I left music altogether because I couldn't figure out how to make these two things work. and felt that it didn't work. Finally, I came back to music. There's a whole seaport there, but I, I, it would take uh, much longer to even talk about that. And then I got to a place. I was sitting at my Shabbos table a few years ago, and I used to host a lot of Bacham on Shabbos. So I have a lot of Bacham on Shabbos, like maybe 30, 40 boys every Friday night when I was in Yerushalayim. I had a big suit. It was like, uh, I miss it. I miss it. In Beit Shemesh, not as many chavos walking around, but... Over there, you know, you got everybody there. The mirror, I was right by Brisk. I, 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 was, I, had, a, I had a lot of boys. But there was one particular friend, Mordechai ben Avraham, shout out to him, who stood up and embarrassed me. What he stood up and embarrassed me for? He goes, Nisim. And immediately when he says Nisim, I'm ready to sink into my seat because I'm here to be with the Chavra. I'm not here to, to make a, a show. He said to me and said to everybody else, he said that the Kodesh Baruch Hu created rap music just for Nisim to do what he's doing with it right now. It made me think of something in Kokve Or. Kokve Or is a, is a book written by Avraham ben Rav Nachman, or Avraham Chazen, who's the son of the son of the Chirena Rav, who was a Talmud of Rav Nassim, uh, Rav Tuchin. He says like this. He says that he was speaking about the air balloon. He said that just like with any new creation that comes into the world, the whole reason why Hashem allowed for it to be brought into the world was only for the sake of Kedusha. But there's a cloud that the Klippa gets it first. The Klippa also gets it first, right? Look at the internet. Chabad was there first. But it's for the sake of Kedusha. And had it not been there, I would have never probably came to Yiddishkeit if I didn't have Chabad Dadog on the internet. But we know that the Klippa, Mamash gets it first, right? And they're doing every single thing that they could do with it possibly. But the actual purpose for it was for the sake of Kedusha. And so he was talking about an air balloon 100 years ago, and he said that eventually you'll see people traveling from wherever they need to be in the world by the air, right? He was predicting and calling it already. And this is what he was talking about, new creation. So I'm, I'm, I, and because I understood that, there's a lot of other genres I don't really understand, and it would be very, very hard for me to say that I would know how to be elevated or lifted from it. But... And in terms of what I do know, I do feel like genre is not as important as a person that is mamish working on themselves. That's a clean person. The same clean, clean things. I think that that's much more of the uh, of the. But I'm not disagreeing with the rabbi. I'm just adding a two cents. I'm a thousand percent not agree, disagreeing with the uh, rabbi YY. Uh, so don't take it that way, please. Can we expect to have a more? Traditional Jewish album coming out this for you in the future, or sticking to the rap? No, I mean, you know, I'm I, I do I do what my heart feels and what I feel like is 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 stirring inside my neshama. You know, 
years ago, I, st- I thought to like start making like nigunim and stuff like that. And I had to really come to like, you know, like, I don't know if that's what I shouldn't put my nisham into the world to do. I don't feel like it's my, you know, start singing Kalibak nigunim, you know. Uh, it's not really my, <laughs> not, I love Kalibak. And I listen to it. You would think like I'm listening, riding around, listening to rap music. I haven't been a real listener of rap in years, several years, several years, because it's not so much to listen to, you know. So um, I think that the, the the thing for me is, I, and I listen to mostly, and I'm not a big listener of, of all the modern stuff as much either, so much. I, I like listening to like Carl Bach. I listen to Shlomo Katz. Yosef Karduna I love. So I do have a lot of like, when I'm listening to music, I'm not always listening to music all day long, but um, I don't know if that's really in my, I just did a song with, uh, I'm working on a song with Zusha that I'm really happy about, so uh, that's really a little bit different out of my lane. But I'm I want I rather do more collaborations that challenge me because I'm all about being challenged, you know. So, you know, I'm I'm not saying really no. I'm just really saying that I don't really foresee that doing a traditional thing is really my thing. Got you, all right, Jacobson. If I'm at, uh, a question regarding the general, it seems like you open the chumash. They they talk and discuss about Garen, this, and special halachas, was there once a, po- a point or time that Yiddishkeit was more into uh, missionizing to bring people to to become Jewish, or that was never a thing? It was just, by the way, I Natari keeps on mentioning how you have to treat game in a certain way, a special way, there seems to be a special treatment. Was there this ever this Kirov movement of Garen? Did it ever exist in history? Yes, no, and why did it change or anything happen? Right, good question. So historically, there were different points when various Jewish leaders were into it. But traditionally, halachically, it was criticized. And that's why the Chazal formulated in Halach and Shulchan Aruch, already in Masech de Yavamis and in Rambam, that we do not seek uh, to proselytize. And if you read through the Chumash, you read through the Tanakh, you read through the basics of our belief, the idea that there's no salvation outside of the church, the idea that to be a good person, you have to be a Jew and accept Judaism is ultimately foreign to Judaism. That's why the halacha formulated in the Rambam from Tosefta is, You know, the good people among the Gentiles have a portion in the world to come. And in many ways, that was one of the revolutions of Judaism. The revolution of Judaism is that we all have one God, even if we don't share the same religion. And you don't have to be Jewish and accept Yiddishkeit in the 613 mitzvahs to be a good person. You could live up to your potential and your perfection without becoming a Jew. And that's a very important idea. So there were movements, there were situations, famously during the Second Temple and other times, but ultimately... The, um, it, it was it was criticized. It was not seen as an ideal to force, compel, and even really push and nudge, you know, non-Jews then or today to become Jewish. And there's a fundamental reason for it, because every person has their unique genre and their unique contribution and their unique music that they bring to the world. In fact, as Reb Nachman says in Lakutei Maharan. Every single creation has its own niggin. An insect, a reptile, a fish, a mammal, a bird, and a, certainly a person. Every creature, every living organism 
And really every piece of matter, even that which is not organic, sings its own song. It has its own nigan. Right? The Baal Shem Tov said, Hariul Hashem Kala Aretz is the acronym of Halacha. Halacha is really tuning into the music. The universe is a symphony. Everything has its own nigan. So therefore the Jew and the non-Jew as well. Because there, there is the idea of Shev Mitzvah B'nai Noach. Noach, yeah. So, so in that case... Maimonides writes in the Laws of Kings that Moshe Rabbeinu instructed the Jewish people that it's their obligation to ultimately change the world in a positive way. That the human, humanity should observe the seven Noachide laws, which is the basis of a moral and civil and ethical society. Rabbeinu Avadio Sefarno, the 15th century Italian Renaissance man and great physician and rabbi, commentator on the Chumash, writes, when Hashem told the Jews by Sinai, you will be a kingdom of princesses. Mamlechet kohanim v'go kadosh, holy nations. What does it mean? It means that your job is to be ambassadors, divine ambassadors to change the world. But the fact mm-hmm. is that most of our history, we couldn't even dream of this. Because we were on the <laughs> We were always on the defensive. The most we can hope for is that our non-Jewish neighbors would allow us just to live as Jews. Imagine if Jews would come and say, you know, we have a mission to influence the rest of humanity. Really? <laughs> we were barely, we could barely breathe as Jews. Today is one of those unique moments in history when God in his grace has given the Jewish people an opportunity to become part of the moral conversation of mankind and people are yearning for it. They're longing for it. From my journeys and experience, and Trinism could talk about this much more for obvious reasons, I have found that the world respects Jews who respect Judaism. They are embarrassed by, <laughs> are embarrassed by Judaism. When Jews bring to the conversation of mankind the ethical values, the spiritual consciousness that Torah tries to inculcate in us, People from all walks of life and all persuasions, non-Jews from various tribes and religions and faiths and countries and demographics and nations really look up to it. They, they, they soak, they take it in with such a thirst and such a yearning. That's what I have found wherever I went. Right. So I would definitely, saying, I would yeah. chime in on that, Rabbi. I, oh, I'm sorry. I don't want to, I no, just no. wanted to say. I really definitely agree with that. A lot of people don't know that. And I think some of it is, is since I, I've had the the Islam background, the Christian background and all that, I've been able to see very, very sincere people who are not Jewish also too. And I, there's a there's a lot of times, you know, I've been places and I've heard people say that, oh, like the Goyim and the Goyim are like this and that. And I used to say, you know, to people, I would run from Hashem, right? Just like Yona did. If he told me to go take a missy like Yesharim inside of a church, and you would see what these people would do with a side with a missy like Yesharim, and how much they were well over it, and really tried to, how much of a chiddush, and how much they were on it, you know, I've seen it so many different times with different ethical books that you know ends up in a in a in a handful of Christians, and you're it's a busha to 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 us. So it is a, right now. I was going to say that it is a major yearning right now during this time that people want the not only just the just the ethical. We don't understand the richness, and we don't understand the the richness of what we have that could contribute to humanity. It's a, it's a it's a whole other story completely. There was a great Jewish writer. She is Cynthia Ozick. So she once wrote in a column a very beautiful insight 
she said, you know, that there are Jews who are very self-hating. They're very embarrassed. It's like they don't want to stand out as Jews. They like to duck and maintain a very low profile. She gave an example yeah. of a chauffeur. She said, imagine you try to blow from the wide side of the chauffeur. Right. Right. What's going to come out? <sighs> Gornished. Bupkis. Right. When you blow from the <laughs> narrow side of the chauffeur, Ah, we're not nasty. I'm not particular. I'm not parochial. And she says, there's no voice that comes out. There's nothing distinct that you have to offer to humanity. When a Jew is rooted in Yiddishkeit, when you're breathing when you're living with Hashem, when your soul is on fire, and you're mamish entrenched in Ashtikl Gemara, in a shtickle rambam, in a chumish, yeah? Lukuti maran, like... Yeah. <laughs> and your mom is, you're filled with Yiddishkeit, the halacha and the spirituality and the godliness, and then you blow the shayfer from the narrow side. Ah, right. voice comes right. up, the broad side yeah. resonates far and wide. So the more Jewish you are, the more universalist you can be. I think that's one right. of the most counterintuitive and important lessons of our generation. The more wow. narrow you are, the more broad you are. I don't mean narrow from a place of insecurity. Narrow, the more uh, committed you are to your own essence, the more in tune you are with your own message and your own individual song, mm-hmm. more people can hear your song and will be inspired by your song. Let's ask, listen, if you start mimicking other singers, who's going to be interested in you, right? You start with right. other people. But when you speak right. Shama, everybody wants to hear you, even people who don't come from your culture. The truth right. is hard not right. to come from your culture, Nisim, because your culture somehow... Uh, <laughs> you you, you no, have yeah. cultures. You know what the Gemara says about Esther, right? It's, it's top, The Gemara says in Tractate Megillah, what was Esther's appeal? It says, Esther Whoever saw like her. Someone says, Why? So the Talmud says every nation felt that she was one of theirs. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. In other words, she spoke a language that was so universal that everybody took credit for her. Now that's that's an amazing, amazing idea. Amazing idea. When you touch a certain place in people, but it's, oh, this is mine. This is mine. (laughs) He's mine. Right, right, right. (laughs) She's mine. That's really... uh, that's uh, that's wow. really, I think, the calling of a Jew in many ways. You know, the right? More, Absolutely. The more, the more, the more broad you can be. I was I was thinking about something this, and I think it'll be helpful for people. Ramosha, with your permission, you know, you have shared in the past about the difficult childhood you had. You were involved in gangs for years, sometimes life mm-hmm. gangs, right? You were mm-hmm. involved with gangsters. Grew up with drugs, right? I think you mm-hmm. said both your parents and your stepfather right. were selling mm-hmm. and dealing, and, and you were dealing. Uh, mm-hmm. Your mother died, I think, very young, right? From an overdose, yeah. From an overdose. Your parents separated when you were two years old. And right. Today they call it in America a difficult life. Mm-hmm. Many people who would go through what you do would either become very atheistic, they would get very angry at God, they would not turn to God at all. They would say, this is a sick world. It's a, they would become cynical, bitter. 
or generally they would be they would see themselves many people as victims of a horrible upbringing and it would justify to them whatever path they take in life what can mm-hmm. you tell people who have lost their innocence at such a young age grew up in a family that was very very their own mother their father left them when they were two their mother died from an overdose what do you mm-hmm. tell people how is it that you instead of becoming a cynical bitter angry dysfunctional victimized person you actually have discovered a whole new relationship with god you're filled with joy and with a sense of promise and positivity what why what did that for you <clears throat> rabbi you know it's a question that i have for myself all the time how did it happen you know and i think part of it is like this you know and uh in 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 Torah Zion of Lekutei Ma'an, there's a piece where Nassim breaks down into a little into parentheses, and he talks about a person being a mommy, that a person, if they're left untouched, and they're not brought any uh, philosophical ideas outside of 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 you know of of what's natural to the human, right? They're automatically still just a mommy. They just believe in Hashem. And, and even in the olden days, when people didn't, when when there was a lot of votazara amongst the nations, and there was a lot of idol worship or whatever, they still believed that there was something. They didn't ever just not believe that there was a, a nothing, right? But that's a human untouched. It takes much more chokmas and and sivuvim and going back and forth and mibutin to for a person to get there. Thank God there was no lumbus around me. That was the, that was the, that was a good part. There was no any of that around me, so my my brain never thought. My whole thoughts all the time was, even though it was a place from a week of Ramona. Okay, God, why? God, why? Why? Why did I only have my mother for nineteen years? And I know you know this one over here. He's had his mother for fifty years or sixty years or whatever, you know. And they had a longer relationship. But at the end of it all, since I was a kid, I always believed that there, there was a God. And I think that it's a natural natural thing. It wasn't something, we didn't go to church, you know what I'm saying? None of that was going on. But you just believe because it's natural to the human to believe because Hashem placed it inside the person. It's only after a while that it starts getting ripped out. You go to this school, you know, but Hashem, I also didn't go to college. That probably also would have took it, you know what I mean? I, you know, thank God that I was, I was, I was saved, that I was just, didn't have to be bothered by anything. So it, it left me an opportunity for when Hashem opened it a little bit, I was able to choose to run or to not run. And I feel like as soon as it was open, I ran. I always tell people like, you know, it was for years I didn't talk to a lot of my family and, and broke Hashem, I have a relationship with a lot of people now that, you know, that I, I you know, we've been on hiatus for a while. But it's one of those things where I didn't run from anything. I was running to something. And 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 everything else that was back there, I just couldn't even think about it because I knew what I wanted so bad, right? And so I think that that's the biggest thing, also. And I'm not an extra super motivated type of guy, neither. It wasn't like it's just like, oh, that's just your personality. But that that the the God piece and wanting to be close that was something that was in me from the time I was a kid doing stuff I didn't know. I morally felt that things were not right. You know what I mean? No, you know. And I feel like a great Jewish poet in Spain. His name was mm-hmm. Rabbi Shloyma Ibn Gabiril. And he has a right. beautiful long poem and he writes there a line about God. He says, I run away from you 
towards you. <laughs> That's amazing. Amazing. And I, you know what? I was thinking about this. I was sitting with, with one of my rebbies uh, a, a while ago, and, and I asked him, I said, how is it fair that Hashem will go and, and kick out and destroy all of these, these nations, right? Before, bef- before us, and they didn't have a Torah. How do they know that they weren't supposed to pass the right. kids through the fire? How did they know or whatever? And he said, because Hashem created a man with a certain yashris. There's a certain yashris that a person has and they're born with. And they already know that there's this MS inside of them. It's only that after a while we build the callus by trying to ignore, ignore Hashem. And, and I feel like, you know, I, since I never had those moments, I was able to maintain that sensitivity somehow. I don't know through all the midst of everything. I wish I had a better answer. But uh, I feel like Hashem was able to, to, to keep me. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I don't. I just know this from anecdotal data from my experiences. In all my travels, I've always seen in, in the black African-American community a unique mm-hmm. of deep spirituality. And Absolutely. Natural love for God. I'm telling you. Absolutely. I, I don't have the opportunity often as often as I would like, but the few times I was invited to speak to African-American communities mm-hmm. and crowds, I'm telling you, mm-hmm. Feedback, the passion. <laughs> it was. It was. I, I was nice to myself. Like I'm in the wrong audiences. You're not, you're not <laughs> listen to speeches. Listen, you're not just listening to speeches. They're all sitting like this, <laughs> picking you apart. Huh? Picking you apart. Picking you apart. <laughs> you psychoanalyzing you. Already criticizing you. They already know what you said already. This I heard. This I know. This this. The best you is at the end. Koyach. Shukoyach, right? <laughs> yeah. I speak to the blacks. I'm a chaya. Yeah, rabbi. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujahs. Right. <laughs> you're getting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. You know, there's so much to. So I, I always felt. You know, people are talking a lot about you know the relations of blacks and so forth. What I really feel is, if we get rid of all the politics. Right, toxicity, and you know, getting caught up in certain, you know, unfortunate and difficult situations. We get to the core of things. The Jewish community and the Black community can create a spiritual revolution. I'm with you. I believe it. I believe it. I definitely believe it. You know, I, I always say that also too. You know, it's like a lot of it. You know, discussing with. You know, I've had built some relationship with a lot of Christian artists, like contemporary artists and stuff like that. And people have asked me about it. And just like right now, this war against God is so strong, right? The whole world of, of, of anybody that believes in God needs to be unified to fight against everything that's trying to snuff out God from the world, right? And, and that's one of the biggest things right, right now is like, you know, there's been a whole... Uh, talk over this past year about who's an ally, who's an ally to the black community, all the other, th- the allies, first off, it, it, that we're on team God, team God is everybody that's on team God. That's the ally, right? And, and fighting, like you said, against immorality and fighting against these things that are trying to uh, destroy all the, the, the next generation. I think it's, I think that that's the most important thing. Um, that that could be said right now in terms of humanity right now. I I, I believe it. Spiritual revolution on the way. 
will not but, be televised. You're, 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 but listen, you're, you're an artist, which means mm -hmm. you're a sensitive person. You're a spiritual mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. Oh, that sensitive and spiritual people often suffer terribly from either depression or despair or melancholy. Mm -hmm. Or they wake up in the morning and they have the imposter syndrome. I'm just a, th mm -hmm. a thief and a faker and a charlatan. And the world doesn't know me. And if the world would know who I am, they would never of mine. Right? Sometimes wake yeah. up in the morning and it's like, who needs this? I just want to become a, a you know, <laughs> nobody ever. I don't need to walk in the street and, oh, Nissan Black, Nissan Black. How do you how do you do you do you suffer from that which many of us do and how do you deal with it? I think recently over the past year, I think after Corona and I, I think really Corona contributed to it. I haven't really talked about this publicly, but I did start to experience like anxiety and um, being very um, uh, low. Then I think it was you know really the after effects of that. Prior to that, I didn't have. I never experienced it. Didn't know what it was. Um, and and. You know, right, and I started of not growing up as an Ashkenazic Jew, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. I don't know what it was. I don't... <laughs> Rabbi, I didn't say it. You said it. Okay. Um, but I, I think the thing is, is that, you know, and, and, and I was really like going through this experience and trying to figure out what's going on with me every day. I've been feeling like, wow, I'm going to die and something's going on with me. Like things I never experienced before. I never thought about that at all. So, um, so what I do, I, I increased the amount of time that I was spending with the shim. I increased the amount of time that I was spending with the shim. And that's, that's just, that was just my, that's just my natural. That's my that's my go-to. It must be that Hashem is trying to tell me something. So I started going out for longer. He's building this and going and fighting and fighting and fighting. And I can't. And and for myself, that's always been my go-to was just to feel. I don't know. It's, it's some of those things that each person has a voter. You know, like right now in the tour world, they go like, you know, oh, it, oh, he's he's not uh, such a learner. Maybe he's a worker. He should go work. Uh, he's, uh, you know, uh, he's a learner. He should, he should be in the basement. Like, that's all you could do. What about, you know, a person that does chassid? What about a person who's a misvoided? What about a person who does different avoiders inside of Odis Hashem that does other people? I always say, I say on, you know, Rifka, Rifka Imenu, when she will walk past, you know, the Bate of Odazara, Esav, he was, Esau, he was kicking, you know, they say in the Midrash. And then also when he walked past, the, you know, a, a yeshiva, Yaakov was kicking. He was he was kicking. A person has to learn the Sephora Makadoshim and read what the tzaddikim are saying and see these different avodas and feel what the neshama starts kicking. Start kicking. When I hear stories of the Arizal leaving for six years on an island to go be with the Shemim Mizboda, my heart starts screaming inside of me. You understand what I'm saying? When I start seeing these things and how much this one broke down and, and to feel that my heart starts screaming inside of me. Okay, and Brooklyn Shem, I also I also love the learner outside. I never came across these stories, yeah. but at the same to, time, you have to trust and feel when and where your neshama comes to life. Exactly, exactly. You have to feel, it. and I feel like for me, it has definitely been just tefillah and sitting in that space. And the mamish has opened up every single door for me. I mean, people think that they know me because there was some like great, like oh, well, yeah, you're black and you're Jewish. And your rap, so of course it's sort of like a breakout. There were other people that were black and they were Jewish and they were also then 
I, I, every, everything that led up to the, the, the song Hashem Elek with, with God Elbaz was to feel I was in the forest six hours every day crying to Hashem for 22 days. This is how, and then the song comes out and, and it, and Mamish changes, whatever it changes in the, in the Jewish music world. And that's how people know Nisim Black. There was no marketing plan for me in place. I didn't think about that. I didn't follow up with any of those things. Everything was throwing myself in Hashem. And I find whenever I'm not doing that, then life starts to crumble. I start to feel lethargic. I start to feel like that. And so Hashem himself is my fears. I, I don't know really too many other ways outside of that. I tried exercising. I tried all of this stuff. Hashem's my fears. Exercise is also good. How did, but how did you deal with, did you have trauma from all your youth experiences or no? Did you just spit it out? I think the, like, I think the trauma... Like the impalas do in the jungle, you know? They say when a child an out and it survives, it shakes for a few minutes. It doesn't right, right, right. therapy. It releases trauma and it goes back to the herds. Well, I think so. I think it was like... Um, I think it was cultural... There's cultural traumas. Like, you know, like for instance, we talk about moving to Israel, like in uh, people bumping on, into you, stepping on your, on, your, on your foot and all that stuff. And you're just like, where I come from, man, this means we're, we're boxing. The next level from here, it means we're boxing. <laughs> this is the next, uh, that's what happens after. This is a prelude to, to, to a boxing match. Is, is what, and so you have to get, you know, you know, over these things like culturally and, 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 and that type of, uh, of trauma or, also, you know, I would say like this. A boxing match. We call it an argument. We start arguing. <laughs> yeah, this this is no argument. I would say like this, though. You know, Rabbi, it's very interesting because my, um, ah, I just lost my thought. Oh, I'm saying that when I came here and, and my coming into like Yiddish, even before I came to, to Israel, when I was coming in, there was so much chesed that I didn't, I didn't even know what to do with it. You understand what I'm saying? Like, we don't, we don't understand these things. And, you know, obviously anybody that knows that who grew up in the black community, stuff like that. And as, as much, as much as there's beautiful things and things like that, when you grow up in the hood part, there's black people that grow up more middle-class and in and, and suburbans and stuff like that. But when you grow up like in the hood, everybody feels like it's just crabs in the pot, the next one trying to pull the next one down. You know what I mean? And, and, and so, when coming into Yiddishkeit and the amount of chesed that people were doing for us and the amount of warmth, of the, it was just like, amazing. you know, you work for the, you work for the, hey, it's mad. you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's like where you really are, 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 are stuck and you don't know what to do. I'll tell you a story. After we, we, we were Magaya, Hashem really put us to the test. When we went one year, we were homeless, me and my family. For one year we were homeless. Uh, from June 1st to June 1st, I lost my job. The landlord needed to move back immediately. We didn't know where we were going to go. And, you know, I tried to do what I can. We ended up bouncing from basement to basement, house to house, hotel vouchers. Couch ended up at my mother-in-law. I love my mother-in-law, but that's never a place where anybody ever wants to end up at. Right? So you have all these different bouncing around and everything else that we did. For one year, by the time we got back into our house, we were, like, uh, afraid to leave a light on because we're so used to being in somebody else's house. And being worried about that, not to run the water. We're very, like, scared to move inside the house because we're so, we're, we're used to, to being on someone else's, uh, you understand what I mean? So so in the same way, I would say, like, coming to the Yiddish guy was also like that, was very, very 
uh, a frail or fragile and not really understanding what relationships were. Why are you being so nice to me? You know, type of thing. So I think that that was sort of the sort of the trauma uh, expressing itself in a different way. Nisha, what was the biggest cultural shock for you coming into the from community? What was like the first thing? Whoa, was it with the Cholon, the Kugel, like the Shaduch? Like what was the biggest, you know, outside coming in? What was the craziest thing that hit you first, if I may ask? One of the craziest things. So one of the first things was the first time I heard the word niggin. That was like really, <laughs> that was a moment. Uh, thinking which for people who maybe not Jewish or whatever, not familiar with, which means like a, a tune or a note or whatever, like that was said, like, let's sing a niggin. And I was over there and I kind of like heard out the sign and said, what, you know, like, you know, <laughs> what, you know, I, I didn't know what it was. I think that was one of the first things that, that caught me off guard. Um, and definitely it was the filter fish was the first thing that made me just go like, man, what are these people eating? You know, <laughs> like, and I hadn't, I actually liked it. I actually liked it. There's certain things I haven't done. I definitely graduated from gefilte fish onto herring. Uh, uh, gala, I still don't do. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't, I'm not, I'm not really, not really there. Don't really do liver that much also. But, uh, you know, there definitely have been some, uh, some shocking things landing on the table. Well, what would you tell someone who wants to get into the Jewish music scene or as a singer? What would you tell, you know, most people, well, their grandmother would tell them they're a great musician. They sing so nicely. How do you really know if you have it? And what are the steps you should take to try to move in that direction? And Rabbi Jacobson, if I may ask you the same question as a top speaker in the Jewish world, what is the indicator? Did you did you just talk and talk, and one day it's like, okay, let me pay you fifty dollars to speak? How do you know? I mean, <laughs> was it a passion mixed with your mother nudging you? What was twenty five dollars, not fifty? Twenty five. <laughs> <laughs> as someone who owns an art gallery, you know, someone someone who owns an art gallery, I also often have to be in a position to tell artists, you know, I don't, I, I don't think you're ready yet. As always, a delicate balance of I don't want to be the one to discourage them and versus knowing that they have talent to develop more. What would you tell them? Or what's the indicator that you got it or you don't have it? It's a very good question. Um, I'm, uh, like I said, I was I was sort of to some degree born into it because my mother and my father were rappers and I and. Not to say like that was still like going on even by the time I was born, but it was just sort of a natural gift. All my family, you know, was involved in music, like uncles and my aunts and my grandfathers um, were all, you know, involved in music. So I think it was a very natural thing for me to um, to to do it. So, you know, I have a lot of friends that like discovered after high school they wanted to start rapping or they want like for me. I've been doing it for, for my whole life, so I don't I don't really. No, but I think the thing is, like, to take it serious is that, first off, you have to really, um, you have to first, I think, goes back to what we were talking about earlier, is, like, understand what is your message and what are you going to contribute that nobody else can contribute, you know? And 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 and, and that is, like, in essence, what the rabbi was saying and quoting, like, your own nigga, what's your own song? What are you going to be able to give that nobody else can, can give, right? Or that nobody else can... Uh, 
um, uh, can 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 give over in the way that you give it over. So I think that's the first thing is recognizing that. The second thing is the it is that you have to be willing to fail. You know, you have to be willing to to put yourself out there and to see if what you have is also interesting to other people. You know, a lot of people make music and they make music for themselves. And and that's great that they like it, but they didn't make it for, you know, for, for, for everybody else. And, and, and not everybody's going to have the same taste as you. So you have to figure out the, the you that fits amongst the Robin, that fits amongst the people that's going to be able to connect with everybody else. So uh, apart from that, any like technical and, 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 and marketing, so I really don't know from that. Like I said, I really, everything's been to feelers by me. Robert Jackson, when do you know that you had an, or this is a desired product in the market by Jacobson and his incredible uh, drushes. And what would you tell someone else younger who wants to be the next Rabbi Rav, Jacobson tips or indicators or some direction or whatever? I don't know. It's an interesting question. Obviously in terms of my own life, <laughs> It may be a little strange, but my first public speech I gave when I was five years old. <laughs> and I think uh, the decree was sealed right there and then. If I'm not mistaken, I have to ask my mother, but I think my yeshiva, where I learned how to dinner, and they asked me to speak at the dinner, and I did. <laughs> and apparently it went well, because somehow the stigma was just attached you know, there was an imprint on me, and uh, I began doing it as a child a lot, pretty often. I never thought, though, that this is going to be really my work and my daily work. And when I was older, uh, I was brought into a small group of oral scribes of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who would transcribe his talks after Shabbos and Yom Tov for memory, and I would also verbalize them and share them and teach them and repeat them. They had the hookups. This is before the internet, before cell phone. Communities <laughs> all over the world. After I started to give over the Rebbe's So that was certainly a very powerful experience. But again, I didn't think that it's, you know, somebody that's going to be part of my future. And then really what happened was I, I a rabbi from Highland Park, Chicago, called me up one day and he said, I read an article of yours. I was very impressed and I want you to come for Shabbos. I'm like, no, I'm not. Come, I'm paying you tickets. Okay, I came. Uh, I guess it was pretty successful, Baruch Hashem. People liked it because the next Shabbos, somebody called me from Great Night. And uh, it just, you know, it morphed from one thing to another. Chavre, Chavre, Islay, and uh, requests started to come in and that's how it really developed. So there was no, uh, it's not like I sat down with a coach uh, or with a life planner, you know, telling when me the trajectory and making tests and exams, what I'm good at, what I'm not good at. It didn't happen that way. No, sometimes you sit by Shabbat and you would almost hope that certain speakers would get indicators that that should not be their career or anything close to it. So if there may be, if you do have indicators or insights, people should know. This is not for <laughs> that would be helpful. The worst thing I see happening is a guy gets up at a Sheva Brachas after 10 speakers, and he says, after all the speakers, I have nothing to add. And I'm like, 
great. That's wonderful. They mazel them and sit down. But then he minutes. I thought he had nothing to add. You know, fake humility doesn't work. Like if you have nothing, don't add anything, you know? Sometimes people get up and say, I really have nothing to say. I'm thinking you agree, you know? There was an MC who introduced somebody and he said, this speaker doesn't need an introduction. He needs an ending. So, uh, <laughs> I once heard somebody tell me a good line, two lines. Somebody once said, Rabbi Jacobson, the only speech you'll ever really give is the way you live. I thought that was very powerful advice. Somebody else once said, get up, tell them what you're going to tell them, then tell it to them, then tell them what you told them, and sit down. <laughs> very sound advice. But generally, what I would tell people who aspire to go field is a few things. First of all, it's important to really, really challenge yourself. Learn and learn and learn and grow intellectually, psychologically, emotionally. Number one, nonstop. Stimulate yourself. Be excited about the material you're sharing. Uh, the Medrash says that after a rain, you'll always see a lot of fish on the top of this lake, on the top of the sea. That's when the fishermen come out. Why? Because they come up to receive rainwater. So the Medrash says, but they're in water a whole day and a whole night, but they want fresh water. You know, a speaker gets up, people want fresh water. Don't just tell me the same thing again and again, and it's coming out of my ears. Give me fresh water. They want fresh water. I think it's also very important for people to get real feedback from real people. Open yourself up to real constructive criticism, not just to people who like you, you know? Get real feedback right. from real people. And, uh, and if you see that you're getting such feedback, also then pursue it, but learn from the best. Learn from the greatest. What did the father tell his son about basketball? I'm not afraid, right, if the hoop is low. I'm saying, I said, I'm not mm -hmm. afraid if you aim hard, mm -hmm. you miss. I'm afraid that you aim low and you never miss. Right. Learn from the right. learn from the best. Learn from the people who, are, who speak to your heart. As Nisim says, those who make you kick, those who make you <laughs> live, learn from them. Um, emulate them in a good way. You know, see what speaks to you and then make it your own, internalize it. It's very important to be alive with your material. And to really be able to learn from mistakes, learn from errors, learn from failure. And then, you know, if this is your mission in life, it will come together. Rob Jacobson, as a legendary storyteller, do you have an authentication process of a, a story? Or if it's good enough, you, you know, it's, it, the message is the message. Great question. It's a great question. And the answer to that is, I used to, I used to think if it's a great story, just say it, you know. And then I got burnt a few times, some very powerful stories, and I found out they weren't true. I relied on the email or sometimes I relied on the book, and then I did a little research, and it wasn't true. So I try now, to the best of my ability, to avoid that, to eliminate that. In other words, I try to authenticate the story either with the person or at least some good, reliable source. There were stories I told in the past. They were unbelievable stories. And then I did a little dig. People asked me, what's your source? I said, my source. And then I went back to the source. And they didn't have a source. It was concocted. 
So today, I, I feel it's very important. It's very important. You know, people say, are these stories made up? I have no issue. I do it myself to accentuate details, to bring out, you know, the full uh, juice, the full energy of the story, which many people don't do. But, but, but the story has to be MS. The story has to be true. You know, I'll let a lie as a speaker, and that includes myself, unless... I get up or somebody else gets up and says, this is a metaphor. This is a parable. That's fine. <laughs> we can give all, all, all I can say is that this past Pesach, I had the schuss of being with Rabbi YY. Yes, we spent and, all Pesach together. Remote art gallery adorned the walls of the hotel for eight days. Very <laughs> much so. And we're wow. sitting in this room with, I don't know, 400 people who could afford to pay KMR rates, who probably are their own boss. That would be my gut feeling. And when Rabbi Wiley would speak over time, they sat there, the room was silent and zip. I'm sure in their own chuls, if it's a half a second, you know, as Meyer starts, they're, you know, I'm sure there's stones and bottles being thrown all around. So whatever it is, it's something, something very special and powerful that you have, Rabbi Wiley. Listen, Nisim, you know this teaching of the Magad of Mizrich? You know the teaching? What's teaching? What's teaching? This is what he says. God tells Yeshaya Hanavi, Yeshaya the prophet, Harem Chashoifer Kailecha. Lift up your voice like a shoifer and rebuke the Jewish people. So the Bible mm-hmm. says, Why like a shofar? And what if it's like a cello or a fiddle or a violin or a drum or a trumpet? Why like a shoifer? Raise your voice. And he says, a shoifer, we see immediately, it's very obvious, that the shoifer is a channel. It's a tool. The shoifer doesn't produce any sound. You blow into the shoifer. The shoifer just channels the sound. It's a transmitter. So Mm. God tells Yeshaya, before you rebuke anybody, make sure you're like a shoifer. Don't take your ego seriously. You're right. For the divine infinity flowing through you. The more you'll be like a shoifer, the more people will be able to absorb it because it doesn't become personal. They won't right. be defensive. They don't have to say, who does he think he used to tell me? He says, you have to <laughs> tell everything. So right. I would say to all of us, communicators, singers, including myself, mm-hmm. it's one of the hardest things mm-hmm. for me to become like a shoifer. Empty my out from everything. There's nothing there. I'm right. I say, what do you mean? But I have to prepare. I have to be creative. I need the right stories. I need the right message. Of course. Of course. That's hard work. But the hardest work is, after everything, to become an empty, empty vessel, an open channel for the energy to flow through you. And everyone knows when you're in that zone, when you're in that moment, you don't feel yourself. There's no self-consciousness. Right. Right. Self-conscious. That's right. You want to know why people are not self-conscious? When, when, if, if I'm in a place of self-consciousness, they'll feel it. If I can right. my own self-consciousness, which is I can't always do. But when I can do it, really transcend my self-consciousness and become like a channel mm-hmm. for, a, for a deeper energy, everybody goes into that place with you. Right. It's very, very true. Very, very fun to be saying, Rabbi Jackson. When I try to sell my painting in my gallery, I tell them a painting 
is the best educator because there sits on the wall. All of this nice colors, happiness, and there's like you, but you describe them much better. There's no self-consciousness of the painting. So whatever message it's saying, there's no agenda, there's no this, they don't want this. The painting's not worried about your shaduchim, not worried about your career. It's just a nice, happy, positive message. But you just uh, enlightened why. I was trying to figure out what's the best way to convey the idea. When you're, you're not yourself, the message goes straight in. There's no, uh, there's no blockages, mm-hmm. there's no twisted, just yeah. straight, pure and open, clear. We have to open ourselves up to it. And you know... Absolutely. Um, I think sum up a lot what Nissim was saying. One of the great, great Hasidic giants was a man named Reb Hillel Paritcher. Reb Hillel of Paritch. He was one of the Hasidim of the Balatanya and of the Mittler Reb and of the Tzemach Tzedek. In Chabad, he was a, a legend of an Oyved Hashem and a Hasid, Reb Hillel of Paritch. He has a mace for him, Elacharimin and others. So he once said, he said a beautiful line. He said, you know the story of the neshama coming down to this world? He says, imagine a person heard a niggin. You heard a niggin, and it touched your soul in the deepest place. It literally brought you to life. But then you forget the niggin. You forget it. And you try to remind yourself, but you don't remember. And every person you meet, you say, maybe you know that niggin. And you go everywhere in the world to search for the niggin. And people are seeing the gun and you like them, but it's not that niggin. And then one day you hear the niggin and you're like, ah, you know when you hear it. Hillel, right. Every neshama is a chelik elekami mal. It's a piece of Hashem. It's a fragment of infinity. And that niggin is its niggin. And then it comes down into this world and we forget the niggin. There's so many distractions and tragedy and difficulty <clears throat> and cynicism and traumas and insecurities and fear. We forget the niggin. And he says, right. search everywhere for the niggin. We try to make money to recover the niggin. Some of us <laughs> gamble, go to websites, become addicts. And by the way, addicts, addicts. They're, they're for the niggin much more than everybody else. That's why they're so, right. they're so crazy. You know, great food, great culture, great cinema, great architecture, great art, great science. It's amazing, amazing. Nature. It's all part of the niggin, but we're looking for the niggin. And Rebillo says, ah. And then God graces you when you hear the niggin. He says, don't let go. Don't let go. Wow, wow, wow. I want to bless my brother, my dear brother Nissim. That wherever you go, you should be able to help people recover their own niggin. Oh, man. What's love? Oh, man. Oh, man. In another person's heart. And when they forget it, singing it back to them. Oh, man. Oh, man. I should be Zohar. Shim should give me everything. The right music, the right musicians, the right everything. And Rabbi, if I could bench you also too, because after Shim, you should... You should go on and, and, and continue blessing people. You're already helping people find the new union, but uh, it should continue. It should increase. Bezat Hashem. Hashem should give both the, the chef of the Ruchmis, the Gashmis, everything good. And, and, and I think Ruchmachmir that when each of us uh-huh. Amen. has the courage to start singing our own nigun mm-hmm. and all of our nigunim come together, 
we create mm-hmm. one large niggin. That's Mashiach. Right. That's Gula. That's Mashiach. Mashiach. That's Mashiach. Right, right, right. Shir Chadash. Shir Chadash. The Shir Chadash <laughs> is, is composed, it's woven from everybody's niggin. Right. Right. No right. niggin is excluded. If any niggin is excluded, it's not the Shir Chadash. We don't have right. to amputate right. any niggin. Every niggin is part of it. Every niggin. Shkaras, thanks right. so much, Rabbi Jacobson, Rabbi Nissen Black. And thank you, Zaman Hertz, for producing this amazing uh Thank you circle. to Moshe. Thank you to Moshe. Moshe, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Nisman, you very much. Everybody knows Nissen means miracles. Right. Yeah, and we should become and we should become the miracles we're hoping for. Oh my become the miracle you're hoping for. Oh my have a wonderful day. Good Chavez. Thank you. Thank This class is brought to you by the Yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at triple w dot the yeshiva dot net slash donate.